this is like home for Jen and I. But the bad part about home is people have moved in since I moved out. <laughs> I was just going around the room, and there's people I don't even know, people I haven't seen. It's kind of fun to be back home and see that God is, is, is doing some really awesome stuff right here at Southview. Isn't that good? Amen? And uh, so this morning, I, I got the opportunity to come, and, and I know that Pastor Aaron is preaching through Timothy, right? And he told me that, and we talked about me, you know, maybe preaching from Timothy, but he never told me where for sure he'd be in Timothy, which made me think maybe he really didn't want me to preach in Timothy. <laughs> so I, I asked the Lord, what, what do, I want to preach something different, right? Then I never, something I don't preach generally at Southview, because at I go uh, on Sunday nights, twice a month, I've been going to the Haitian church over in Omaha, and I've been preaching to them, doing discipleship. And so I thought, oh, I'll get to, maybe I'll do some discipleship. And then the Lord just kind of drew me back to some things that I've been teaching at other churches, at other places. And so this morning, this may sound a little familiar, but it may sound a little different, because what I want us to do is I want us to think about discipleship and what that means, okay? What does discipleship mean to us as a church, as the body of Christ? And, it, and before I get there, I want to thank you. See, i got to have the, 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 the points on my board or I'll get sidetracked. I almost forgot to thank you. I'm, I'm Dallas. For those of you who are brand new, I'm Dallas. I'm with the North American Mission Board, and, and this is my home. But uh, I'm hardly ever here. So those of you who don't know my face or haven't seen me very much, you wonder where I've been. I've been all over the world, <laughs> literally. Um, I've been to China. I've been to, I'll be going to Greece in August. And I've been all over other foreign countries like Arkansas and Oklahoma. <laughs> but I'm usually telling them and thanking them for their support of missions. So I thought I should do that at home too, right? Thank you for supporting missions. Thank you for giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Thank you for your support of the cooperative program, which allows people to plant churches in Lincoln. And I'm going to give you a really quick report. I have no pictures. I just wanted to share with you. Logan is getting ready to launch in, in his, his church officially launching... Logan is our church planner at the University of Nebraska. He is getting ready to launch at Belmont, at the Belmont Elementary School in the fall. And simultaneously, he's going to start doing worship service at the UNL campus. Isn't that kind of cool? Then, of course, you know Anhill is here, and he's starting to, he's doing these uh, soccer camps, right? And very exciting. He had about 25 uh, people up in Belmont. Isn't that great? And so things are going really well. We, we have um, a new Korean church that's meeting at New Covenant. That's our sister church down the road. And, and man, they're, they're doing great. They've already baptized six people. Isn't that cool? Some of them are husbands of Korean wives. And so they baptize them, and, and they're going between the two churches, New Cove and the Korean church, Lincoln Vision Community Church. So I wanted to give you that. I wanted to thank you for supporting missions. But I also wanted to thank you for being right here. I want to give fair balance, balance where it's due. We need to think about this community, right? The place where you serve. This place, it's called Lincoln, if you didn't know that. This place that you live, Lincoln, Nebraska, but this is Indian Hills Village, right? Is that, did I say that right? What is it? Indian Village. There's no hill here, even though there's a big tower. <laughs> Indian Village. So I, I want to thank you for being right here, and, and I want to thank you because I know I don't have to worry about Indian Village, Right? You guys are doing a fantastic job of reaching every single person in Indian Village with the gospel. Amen? 
you should be reaching everybody in Indian Village. You got a big steeple right here. You got this, well, it's not really a steeple. You have this giant cross right here, right? Everybody can see it from like a mile away. We should be reaching this community for Jesus Christ. We should be reaching Lincoln for Jesus Christ right here. Amen? And I shouldn't have to worry about Lincoln as much, right? Because Southview is here. Southview is reaching this community for Jesus Christ. And I get the same kind of look when I say something like that anywhere I go in the United States. I was just in a place called Oklahoma just this week, and they have one Southern Baptist church for every 2,000 people. If we add all the other evangelicals, there's one church for every 500 people. I was just a few months back in a place called Arkansas. And in Arkansas, there, are, there is literally one Southern Baptist church for every 1,000 people. Southern Baptist church. There is literally, again, about one church for every 400 people in most of Arkansas. Think about that. And when I go there, they're always telling me about all the lost people there. And I look at them and I say, that's great, I'm glad you're here. You must be reaching them all, right? Because there's one church for every 500. But when I come back to Nebraska, and I want to just lay this out to you, there is one Southern Baptist church in Nebraska for every 21,200 people. 21,000 people for every Southern Baptist church. Now, we all know there's lots of other great churches in Nebraska, right? So let's add them all in. And I was doing some research. And the best estimate I could get was even with adding all of the great churches that are evangelical in Nebraska, there's still one church for every 12,000 people in this great state of Nebraska compared to one to 500 all across places in the South. My heart kind of breaks when I think about how many lost people there are in Arkansas. But it really should break all of our hearts that there are so many lost people in Nebraska that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, I, I, I could keep talking about the rest of the world. We all know there's about 2 billion people in the world who have no access to the gospel at all, right? Did you know that? 2 billion people who don't even know who Jesus' name is. 2 billion. There's a place called Yemen. Have you ever heard of Yemen? Raise your hand if you've heard of Yemen. That's where all those terrorists come from, right? You guys know what terrorists are, don't you? Do you know there's about 20 to 40 Christians in Yemen, and there's 8 million people there? I will suggest to you that uh, the solution for radical terrorism is, is one word. You know what it is? What is it? Jesus. I want to make sure you're still alive. I haven't put you to sleep yet, right? There, there's a solution for crazy terrorism. It's called Jesus. He's Jesus, right? And yet there's only 20 to 40 of 8 million people who know his name. I go to a place in China where there's two tents, and this is a kind of an uh, exaggerated, I think, an estimate, because I've heard estimates that it's one-tenth of one percent, but there's, I'm going to tell you there's two-tenths of one percent Christians in this part of China. We could keep going down 
the list, but there are about 6,000 people groups in the world who have never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. I guess I'm kind of like Nebraska's Lottie Moon. I go around to all these different places and I tell them about 21,000 people to one that need Jesus, that need a church in their community because, you know, most of you probably have driven through some of our small communities in Nebraska and you've noticed that churches are now closed. Some of them have turned into houses. But there's still people there that don't know Jesus. I was just talking to a, young, a guy a guy in uh, the Sand Hills who goes door to door and he talks to people and he's leading people to Jesus Christ all over the Sand Hills. There's just no church for them to go to, but he's going just door to door. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's just going door to door in little tiny towns and people are coming to know Jesus and he's having to start Bible studies in little tiny communities all across the Sand Hills because they've never had an opportunity here about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to suggest to you today that there's a next step for discipleship. And it's that we have a burden for what God has a burden for. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible. I want you to, I love the last book. You know what's really cool about the book of Revelation? In the New Testament, is it, it's like the last book. That's what really makes it cool. And it kind of tells me there's some really cool stuff getting ready to happen, right? But man, I'll tell you what, there's no better book to get us thinking about what Jesus cares the most about than the book of Revelation. So I want to grab, have you grab your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 5. I could, we could, gosh, we could go through so many different places. But I want to read to you Revelation chapter 5, and I want to start in verse 1. Such a cool book. I want you to kind of listen to the words and, and meditate on them as we read them, and I'll come back and we'll talk about them just briefly. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals, and between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw the Lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that he sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I look and I heard around the throne 
the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Woo. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? I mean, I could keep reading, but I want to just stop there because there's so much information there that I can't hardly fathom it as, as it is. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, when I think of a passage like this, all kinds of questions come to my mind. Don't, how about you? When you read something like this, don't you have more questions than you have answers? I mean, I think about this and I think about that scroll. It's written on the front and the back, right? Isn't that kind of cool? It's, it, it's, it's a scroll, so it's rolled up, and you don't really know what's in there, but you know it's written on the front and the back. And, and then you, what about the seven seals? What's that all about? Who's great enough to open this? All these questions kind of, kind of flood my mind as I read this passage. And, you know, it's, it's just, I just have more questions than answers when I read this kind of passage. But one thing I do know, if you read the rest of the book, in chapter six, chapter six this scroll is unrolled. The seven seals begin to be broken, and these monumental, amazing happenings begin to unfold on earth. Isn't this kind of cool? I mean, this is the end. This is it. You're reading the end of all human history right here in this book. Whew. Kind of gives me goosebumps. How about you? I mean, God's giving me a glimpse. I don't understand everything, but I'm getting a kind of a picture here, aren't you? And so I see these monumental things. And, and I want to ask you, when you think about this, there's a few things we do know, uh, and I want to ask you to help me with it. One of the things I do know is that someone's holding that scroll. Who is it? Who is it? It's not Jesus at this point. Who is it? It's God the Father. God the Father's holding that scroll in his right hand. If you're looking at me, this is my right hand. I was going to put an R on it just to make sure. But I'm pretty sure this morning, this is my right hand. And God the Father is holding the scroll. God the Father holds the destiny of the world in his right hand. Isn't that awesome? All of human history will unfold, and God's got it right here. God is in control. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I, I will, I try not to get a, a full diet of this often, but every once in a while, I turn on the TV, and I turn on the news. Do you do that? And then when I turn on the news, I start to go, oh, I mean, I don't want to get too political, but every time I turn on the news, there's something bad somewhere Amen? And, and it just kind of freaks me out for a few minutes until I go to the book of Revelation and I remember who's holding the scroll. Amen? I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in Washington right at this moment because I know God holds the future. He holds the destiny of all of humankind in his right hand. Now, I I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be involved or get, get concerned, but you know what? I will do what God's called me to do, and I'll leave the rest to God. That's next level discipleship, folks. You and I need to trust God. He's in control. Amen? Second thing I notice here in verse 2 is this angel. It says, I saw a strong angel. And he yells in that loud voice, right? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
and no one is found in heaven, on earth, or even under the earth worthy to open the scroll. And it's almost like there's a silence. David Platt says, the silence of heaven testifies to the very sinfulness of man. And there's not a single person on, in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is capable of taking that scroll out of the Father's hand and opening it. And that should burden you and I. You see, the real reality is, is that apart from Jesus Christ, all humanity is helpless and hopeless. That means we can't open the scroll. We can't reach God the Father no one is worthy. And, and if you notice what happens here, John is moved to tears. I think probably the part of the problem that with, with the church today is that we don't weep over people's sin, unworthiness. But it broke John's heart as he wept. Now, what I do is I help start churches all across Nebraska. And then when I take a vacation, you know what I do? I go to China to help plant churches in China. And I'm going to go to try to do that in Greece with the Syrian refugees here in August. That's what I love to do. I believe that planting and starting churches in Nebraska is the most evangelical thing we can do. It's the most evangelistic thing that we can do, is putting a place where people can hear about Jesus Christ, a place where people like you can leave this building and start telling people about Jesus. We are making disciples in Nebraska when we plant a church in that community. So it's, I would have to say that planting a church is the greatest evangelistic thing we can do. Because that's where people are made disciples, right? Well, I was a church planter in Michigan a number of years back now. It's been a long time now. But I was what they call a parachute planter. And that's what we do most of the time here in Nebraska. We have one person or a couple that says, God has called us to be a planter and go in and evangelize a community and tell them about Jesus. And so we fly them over a community, right? We actually just drive them. We tell them, go drive to that community. But the idea is, is you fly them over that community, you push them out, and you go, God bless you. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that's what we do, right? Well, I went to Michigan, and there were no churches in this community uh, to speak of that I was dropped into. And so I didn't know what to do. I was brand new out of seminary, and I just started going knocking on doors, manned with just this book, a different book. This, my other one wore out. But with a book, and, and I went knocking door to door, and I just tell them, hey, I'm Dallas. I'm planning a church. Can I take, would you like to be a part of it? And I tell them about Jesus, and that was kind of the way I started planting a church. <laughs> kind of weird, huh? Well, I didn't know anybody, and so therefore I had lots of time on my hand, I was only preaching to three or four people that asked me to come, and so I had a lot more free time on my hands, so I went to all the funeral homes in the hospital nearby, and I told them, you know, if somebody dies, I'm here. If somebody needs somebody to pray for them, I'm here. Well, one day, I got a call from hospice up in, up in Mansalona, Michigan, and they called, and they said, we have this old man. He was a deacon at a church down in Detroit. Would you be interested in going to visit him? And I said, of course. What else am I going to do? <laughs> I didn't tell him. I didn't tell that bit to them. But that's what I was thinking. I said, what else am I going to do? I don't know what they thought I was going to do. Maybe they thought I was going to give him last rites or something. But I started going and visiting him every week and just praying with him and loving on him. And, you know, I got so much more from him than I ever gave. It was amazing. But one particular day, as I went to visit him, 
he began to he began to be comfortable with me, so he began to tell me things that he'd never told me before, and he started telling me with massive tears running down his face, he began to tell me about how he had a do not resuscitate order, but every time he kept going back to the hospital, they'd haul him in, and what do they do? They resuscitate him. He had been dead three different times, and they kept bringing him back to life. And now the tears are coming even more. I'm thinking, this is really, this is not bad. You're still alive and I'm getting to spend time with you. But then he began to say, he said, but Dallas, I got to tell you, one of the times that I died, I had this experience. And I thought, oh my, one of those. But here's what he shared. He said, Dallas, I have never doubted my salvation or that I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But one of my times that I died, I felt like Jesus grabbed me by the hand and he took me to the edge of hell. I had no fear that I would fall in or, or, or be sucked into hell because I had Jesus holding my hand. Isn't that awesome? But he said, I couldn't really see into hell but I, I was at the edge of it, and I could feel its pain. I could see the edge of it, and I could feel the heat, and I could hear the screams. And now the tears are coming down even harder. And he looks at me, and he grabs my hand, and he says, Dallas, no one wants to go there. No one wants to go there. With my hand in his, he goes, Dallas, I don't care whatever else you do, but you need to tell people they don't want to go there. And you need to tell other people to tell other people to tell people that they don't want to go there. Folks, that is the fate of people who have never heard about Jesus Christ. That is the state of the unreached in the world. They haven't heard of Jesus. They haven't heard him or seen him. Now, I want to take it a step further. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which is made so that men are without excuse. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard several times people have come to me and they said, well, Dallas, I, I, you, you talk about hell all the time. <laughs> I don't talk about hell all the time, but some people think I talk about sin and hell all the time. I talk about heaven too. I tell people they want to go there. They said, Dallas, what about you guys have heard this, right? What about the African? What about the Chinese person who've never heard the name of Jesus? How could God condemn an innocent man to hell? What I just read in Romans chapter 1 says that is not true, first of all. But here's the reason why. You see, there is no innocent man. They're without excuse. Everyone has told a lie. I don't care if they're from China or Africa or North America. There's no one who's sinless without sin in their life. And they know just enough about God because of what God has revealed in all of nature you can't tell me you, you don't go to Colorado and go, wow. Man, I've got a picture of, of a mountain in Wyoming, and I'm just like, wow. That's amazing. But even better than that, how many of you got a grandchild or a daughter or a son? And when they were brand new born, I remember my firstborn. She was born cesarean. It was amazing. <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> for everybody else, but for me, oh my goodness. I'm sitting there watching that whole thing. 
And the doctor reaches in because she was breached and she pulls a little baby out butt first. It was amazing. And she was perfect. Her head wasn't squished or nothing. <laughs> oh my goodness, she was beautiful. And I'm not just prejudiced, she was beautiful. And you dads know what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. I can't look at a baby and not know there's a God. I can't look at a mountain and not know there's a God. I can't look at a flower in my front yard and not know there's a God. And the guilty are guilty whether you like it or not before a just, holy God because there's enough information out there for them to have believed in him. There are over 2 billion people in the world this very moment with just enough knowledge of God to send them straight to a sinner's hell. There are 1.4 million people in Nebraska. Think about this for a minute. There are 1.4 million people in Nebraska who have just enough knowledge of God to send them to the place where I was pleaded with to tell them they don't want to go. But here's the good news, right? I'm going to give you a break now for a minute. Because look at at this chapter. This is awesome. Chapter 5. Look at verse verse 5. It says, one of the elders said to me, don't weep anymore. Because I was just about overwhelmed. How about you? He says, weep no more. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. And so he can open the scrolls, seven seals. Amen? Isn't that cool? I'm sorry if I depressed you there for a moment. But I want you to catch the gravity of what I'm talking about. Two billion people, 1.4 million people right here in Nebraska, in your backyard, in our state. They are corn huskers. They have big ends on their shirts just like you. But praise the Lord. The Lamb of God has conquered. Amen? The same John who wrote Revelation, he wrote in in John chapter 1, he says, look, the Lamb of God who who takes away the sin of the world. Throughout history, there have been men and women and children who have died and gone to hell. They've been slaves to sin, men and women and children, the strong and the great, the weak and the poor. They've all suffered the same fate. They've fallen prey to sin. But came another man, amen? His name was Jesus. Unlike any other man before, any other woman before, This man did not sin. He possessed the power over sin. He was not enslaved by the devil. In fact, he was a slave to righteousness. And how did he do it? He was the Lamb of God who triumphed over death. He had victory over it. Isaiah tells us he was marred, despised, rejected, Stricken and smitten, he was afflicted, wounded, and chastised, oppressed and broken in our place. And all who are hid under the banner of his love, they are saved. That's the glory of what we see here in this passage. The Lamb of God suffered for you in your place. I brought this hymn book up here, but I'm not going to take so much time. I thought about the, the great old hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. You guys know what this book is? It has songs in it. It's cool. And there's an old song in there that says, Crown Him with Many Crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. That's this Jesus that we're talking about right here. Isn't it cool? And in the next verse, it says, Crown Him the Lord of Life. That's what He is. Amen. He brings life to man. 
And then in verse 7, look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, because I want to keep going here. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him, was seated on the throne. Salvation through his own sacrifice. Salvation through his own sacrifice. Jesus did it all. All of it comes through the crucifixion of the Son of God, the Savior. The line of Judah, who becomes the Lamb of God. Amen? You guys follow me here? Isn't this good stuff? Isn't it great what, what we find here in the book of Revelation? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Look at, at, at verses 8 through 10. And here's those four living creatures, 24 elders, and they fell down and they sang that new song just like I brought the hymn book up, they had their own song in their own book, and they started singing. When we start realizing what Jesus did, we can't help but sing. Right? You're going to go, not only sing here, you're going to go to your neighbor and sing. Woo! You know what Jesus did? Do you know, my wife and I think Myra's like the greatest song leader. Woo! Every time we come, we just go, ah. Man, she just always makes me feel like worship. And I almost forget that she's there. And that's what a great song leader does. She just makes me forget that she's even there. But I knew her before, so I knew she was still there. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what we do. We sing. When we realize what Jesus did, when we realize that the atonement of Christ is gracious and and global, things change. I want you to hear just how amazingly awesome our salvation is in this passage, what Jesus does. But I want you to think about this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, there's this passage that says that God had chosen you. God chose you. He chose you. God chose you. He chose you. God chose you. Before the foundation of the world, that you should be wholly blameless in his sight, in love he predestined you as adopted as as his son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in him. And then it later on says, and he lavished on us according to his purpose. Did you notice all the purposes in there? All the direction in the reason you are saved, why you were chosen to be a priest, a kingdom of priests to the world. To the world. Folks, if If there are people in the world, I want you to hear what I'm saying. If there are people in the world around this world that we live in, if there are people in Nebraska who still have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we've missed the point of this atonement, of our choice, the choosing of who we are. If there are people who don't know, we've missed the point. Our obedience to the Great Commission is incomplete if all we do is make disciples. Our obedience to the Great Commission is incomplete if all we do is make disciples. Our commission is to make disciples of all nations. That means Schuyler, Valentine, Shadron, Terrytown that doesn't even have a church in it. Do you know there's a little town in, in, in western Nebraska. It sits between Scotts Bluff and Gearing. It's a little town. has about 800 people, and it's called Terrytown. A state senator, his name was Terry Carpenter, bought all that land and petitioned the, the state and said, can we build a town here? And he got rejected like three times. <laughs> but finally, he was able to get the Corps of Engineers to come in and build a levee, and they pulled all the Platte River out of the bottom there. And he started building houses there and then finally was able to get the state to call it a town. But he never, he never made in his plan a plan to put a church anywhere in the boundaries of that city. 800 people in western Nebraska who don't have a church they can call their 
community church. We shouldn't be bound by the walls of this building. We should have a heart for the world, folks. What drives passion for the unreached is not that I'm going to make you feel guilty this morning. It's that we realize what Jesus did on the cross for me. I get to go to heaven. And, and I'm excited about that. Amen? Woo! I have Jesus in my life. I have eternity in my heart. And I want to worship him and praise him. That's why I love coming to Southview, so I can worship him with Myra. It's so much fun to worship God. But when I start thinking about the reality, the reality is is that the world needs to worship Jesus, not just Southview. All of Nebraska should have an opportunity to praise the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. There are 10,000 people groups that, that, that worship Jesus right now. But there's 6,000 that don't. There are 2 billion people who have never had an opportunity to even hear. There are 1.4 million Nebraskans who have never had a chance to, to listen. So let's just come to the end of this passage. And I just love that. I could read it over and over again to you. It's just awesome, isn't it? He saved you and I. And he wants to save all tribes and people groups. So what are we going to do with this passage now that I'm done, right? Well, first thing I want to do is I, I'm going to add one more right up at the top. Because as I was praying this morning, God wouldn't let me quit. He said, add one more. You and I, we need to trust God. I don't know what situation you are in right now. But because of this passage, you know what I need to do? I need to trust God. I don't care if my, my, my life is falling apart. Maybe my spouse or is, is not treating me well. Maybe your children are causing you problems and grief. Maybe your parents are, are sick. Maybe your work, your job is, is, is not so good right now. But you know what? Who, has, who holds the destiny of the world in his right hand? God does So you and I need to trust him with that. We also need to trust him with our neighborhood. So you and I need to start praying, right? You and I need to start praying. We need to start praying, and I want to encourage you to start praying for your neighborhood, where you live. Start praying for your neighbors. When you start praying for your neighbors, maybe you should take a a boatload of cookies over, right? And tell them you're praying for them. And start praying for your neighbors, really actively praying for them. Prayer is an active thing. I really believe that. You and I should be praying. We should also be praying for places like Yemen, Somalia. Did you know there's 9,000? Let me make sure I get this right. There are 2,000 Somalis in Lexington, Nebraska. There are three mosques there. How many of you knew that? Isn't that cool? <laughs> God's bringing the world to Nebraska, and you and I need to be start praying for Somalis in Nebraska. There's a whole bunch in, in uh, Grand Island as well. And what are we doing to reach those places? How are we supporting our brothers in Lexington to reach those communities? You and I need to be praying for our neighborhood, for our city, for our state. And I'd encourage you to start praying for Yemen and, and, and Somalia, the country. Start praying for places in China. And I know some of you are sitting there and you think, well, I'm, I, I know I should pray, but I really don't have a heart for China. I really don't have, people always go, Dallas, I don't have a heart for China. <laughs> I've never heard the Macedonian call to go to western Nebraska right? God's never sent me to... Folks, if you're waiting for a Macedonian call, here it is. Come to western Nebraska. Come to China. God sent me to tell you 
that there's, he has many people there. And they're waiting for you to tell them about Jesus. And then you and I need to give sacrificially. Not only should we be trusting God and praying, but we should be giving sacrificially. Um, I'm going to give you some quick statistics. You ready for this? On average, the American church member gives 2.5% of their income Twenty-five percent give nothing at all. I'm going to just make a weird suggestion here. Most of us, when we go out to eat at a restaurant, what do we do? We give at least ten percent. Some of us, we like to be generous. We give fifteen, right? We'll give (laughs) how much? Twenty? Oh my goodness! Some of us really give, and they give twenty. Folks, what your waitress spends a few minutes on you. God gave his only son for you. How much can you trust? The fourth thing, we should be preparing actively. I, I, I asked Aaron, I'd like to start doing a pipeline training where we train people to think about where would God send me? You know, we, are you really preparing yourself to go as a missionary? Are you really preparing yourself to go as a church planter or to start a church here in Lincoln in another part of town like Waverly or Air Park? Are you preparing? I'd like to start something where we're preparing each other, where some of us who maybe have felt God's tug, there's people in Air Park who don't know Jesus. You know, I go to Arkansas to beg people to come, but I really believe God is going to raise up people from within Southview and New Cov, and our churches in Nebraska to go to Nebraska. Because we're the only ones that love Nebraska. Most of the rest of the world don't even know where we, where we are. If you don't believe me, there, there was a, there's a young lady back there from China, and she didn't know where Nebraska was until she came here, right? My wife did not know where Nebraska was. Most people don't even know where it is. And the fourth, fifth thing I want you to do is not only prepare actively, but I want you to plan to go intentionally to all people. We need to have short-term missions. It's not enough to go on vacation, folks. Have you ever thought about using your vacation for the glory of God? Make your vacation praise and glory to God. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? Now that I've started using my vacation time as time to go and make God known, I have more fun. In fact, I get to do more fun things. I get to actually experience culture. When, when I go to, to uh, Greece, I could go to the Parthenon, right? But you know what? I'm going to eat Greek food in, in a little shack in a refugee city, and it'll be much better than all the really cool sights and sounds in Greece. When I went to China, I've, I've been fed by house church leaders in their home or in a, in a place where, where we were hidden away, and I've got to sing worship songs with people in a low voice so no one would hear. <laughs> Man, so, so much better than Disneyland. I wish I had time to tell you about stories of, of having people knocking on doors at three in the morning and they walk right past my door in China. I'll tell you that, there's more adrenaline there than any ride at Disneyland. Whew! Do you hear what I'm saying? We should be fasting and praying like the church at Antioch in Antioch in Acts 13, listening. God, who are you calling out next to be a missionary from this church? to go and plant and reach Nebraska. We should, be, we should be praying, God, who are you calling to go to Somalia? Who are you calling to go to China? Who are you p- calling to go to Nepal? Who are you calling to Greece? God has called us to go.
to go and make disciples. We're either going or we're sitting still. That's all there is. We're either going or we're sitting still. And you and I have been called to go. And I am here to encourage you to, to trust God. He holds the world in the right hand. Right? Amen? Hold your right hand up so I know you're paying attention. Do you trust God? He's holding the world right here in his right hand. Then you need to be starting to pray. Pray for your community. Pray for Nebraska. Pray for a place that you will adopt as your place to pray for. Then plan on giving sacrificially. Prepare to actively go. I'll tell you what, if you get prepared, Southview is going to have some great Sunday school teachers or leaders of small groups, right? doesn't hurt to get prepared to go because God could use you here. Get prepared. And then you and I need to actively get involved in missions. Preparing to go, planning to go, and seeing what God would do in your life. I promise you, it'd be awesome. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, today we're reminded that you hold the world in your hand, in your right hand. And there's nothing here on earth that we should fear. We should be working to bring glory and honor to your name. But we need to come to the reality. Lord, maybe today this is the first time someone's ever heard that they're hopeless that they're headed to a sinner's hell and that they don't want to go there, then I want to give them an invitation to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus this morning. But maybe there's someone here who has been reminded of the lostness of their neighbors, the lostness of the world. Lord, I pray that you'd convince us that we need to be about sharing the gospel no matter what we know about it. Because you have people all across Nebraska and across the world who are waiting for us. You've prepared their hearts to hear. And you're preparing preparing us this morning to respond. And so, Father, we pray that as we realize just how glorious this gospel is, that you have called us to be a kingdom of priests, that we would respond to that call, that we would take that next step in discipleship, and that we would prepare ourselves to share the gospel. That we prepare ourselves to make a difference in the world. That we wouldn't just idly Stale, stay still, but that we would actively be preparing ourselves to, to proclaim the gospel to the world. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, we pray.